Hi everyone, I'm John C. Morley, the host of the J. Moore Tech Talk Show and Inspirations for Your Life. guys, it's John C. Morley here, serial entrepreneur, and you're tuned into, you know what you're tuned into, you're tuned into the J. Moore Tech Talk Show. It is November uh, 10th, 2023, and I am just so grateful and glad to be here with you. You know why? Because I have an amazing show <laughs> to share with you, and I know that you guys are going to be really, really uh, happy with everything I have to share with you tonight. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I do want to let you know something pretty cool, and that is uh, that you are watching the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. You know, we are in our second year. Uh, this is show 45. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty amazing. So, uh, let's get right into the meat and to the potatoes, all right? <laughs> okay. So first thing I want to talk about is uh, Meta. Meta and Snap, uh, I don't know if you know this, ladies and gentlemen, but they must uh, detail a um, very specific plan uh, to how they're going to be enacting child protection um, measures. And, you know, um, this is pretty important. By, ladies and gentlemen, by, like I said, by December First, 2023, and this is because of the European Union. Again, the European Union. And you might be saying to me, hey, John, why? Well, I got to tell you something. The European Union is like the one that causes us to really, I don't know, they, they, they get us to make a difference, you know? And, and I think it's pretty cool how, uh, you know, all this works. But I think the most important thing for me is just knowing how you know, we do everything. And I think it's pretty cool because the European Union really gets people to, how can I say, uh, jump up uh, to what's going on. And I think that's probably the most important thing is the way that they can just, you know, do this on, uh, you know, a regular basis and how they can just stay on track with everything. I think that's probably the most uh, important thing. And you might be saying to me, hey, John, you know, why is it that the European, well, the European Union takes things, ladies and gentlemen, they take them very, very seriously, okay? Extremely seriously. So um, they're going to have to um, basically uh, cough up or pay up. Uh, and I'm sure they're going to do that. So let's get into some more things. And that's about AI. So we talk about AI, artificial intelligence, and artificial intelligence being everywhere. But you know, what does that really mean? So artificial intelligence everywhere really just means that there is going to be a benefit for everyone. That's right, a benefit for everyone. And I have to say, ladies and gentlemen, that we're talking about things like contactless payment, autonomous uh, shopping and delivery experiences, um, 
lots of new trends are going to be hitting, which we'll talk about more. And so AI is supposed to make things easier for consumers to pay for and receive goods and services. Uh, we'll talk more about that, you know, what's going to happen. And you're probably saying to me, John, you know, what is this metaverse? We're going to talk more about that, but the metaverse is becoming real. And we'll learn more about it a little more in the show. But so this is a place, ladies and gentlemen, that can really, how can I say, um, get people involved with their work, their play, their shop, their socialization on these different types of uh, platforms, okay? Uh, and I think I think it's it's pretty cool, um, you know, what's happening. But I think we have to be aware of some of the things that are going on. I think that's probably a big thing. And so um, thinking about more about AI and technology, we also have to ask ourselves what's going on um, in the web world. Well, we have something, ladies and gentlemen, called Web3. I'm not sure if you guys know what that is, but Web3 is a, a new standard that's been rolled out. And what Web3 really means is an extension of crypto um, currency, NFT, non-fungible tokens. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people are just trying to embrace, like, you know, what does all this mean? And I think what it means is that there's change, right? We're going to the digital world. And the digital world is an interesting world. I mean, I have to tell you, it's, it's a very, very interesting world. And you might be saying, John, you know, I don't know if I'm ready for that world. And, you know, and, and that's perfectly okay if, if you're not ready for that world. But I think the biggest thing right now is the fact that people are just um, getting information from all different ends. So when we think about Web3, and if I had to ask you this, in short, what is Web3? So... Again, as I said, it's the extension of cryptocurrency. We're going to use the blockchain and newer different ways to help uh, manage and protect data. And, you know, Web3 is basically a third generation of the World Wide Web. And its main goal is to decentralize uh, everyone uh, with a, let's say, from the bottom up design. And it's built around blockchain and uh, a lot of different things. And we talk about a semantical web, which can be related to web as a network of data that's linked in a meaningful way, right? And so web 3.0 um, is starting to become more popular, okay? It took us over 10 years to go from web 1.0 to 2.0. And a lot of people watching expected it to take longer, but not too long to fully implement the reshape in the web in 3.0. So um, a web 3.0 example, for example, Siri is an excellent example of web 3.0 technology. Apple's AI assistance, right? Google's assistance. These are web 3.0 technologies. And um, it's definitely changing our world because information is being accessed in a completely different manner than it was before. So thinking about that, let's talk about something in the physical world and the digital world. So digital world um, is things that are online, like, you know, this video, uh, this a stream, if you're watching me live, it's taking the physical world and the digital world and allowing them to come together. Okay. And merge them so that the value proposition will happen 
no matter whether you're in the fiscal world or the digital world. So in the fiscal world, we'll bring in digital components. In the digital world, we'll bring in those physical components, which will not be physical per se, but it will be the physical, um, let's say, connection of that, but it will show up digitally. So let's think about that for a moment. If you were, uh, let's say, traveling and you wanted to look at your house to see what's going on, maybe you have cameras. So if you, let's say, go online and you or you pull up your phone and you see uh, your neighborhood, you are connecting to it physically, but really you're not. You're connecting to it digitally. You're seeing a representation of what is there physically, but it's being transferred in a digital manner. And those signals are then turning into pictures and sounds that you can hear from you know wherever you are. So bridging the physical and digital world is not a new concept, but it is becoming something that a lot of people are worrying about. And it's because they don't know how to handle the bridge of the digital world. They don't know what it means. We're talking about things like security, when it talks about things like verification, when it talks about things like uh, payment methods, right? They're changing because in a digital world, we can't just give somebody cash, right? We just can't do that. There's no way for me to come through the computer screen, not yet there isn't, and give you guys cash or vice versa. We, we can't do that. So we have to change our practices to adapt to the platform. Uh, let me give you an example. Let's say that you were, um, let's say, getting ready for a test in school. And maybe uh, for a while you were studying for that test at home and maybe you were reading things out loud so they would kind of gel with your auditory uh, senses. And so when you did that, that was fine. But then when you got to school, you got into something called the a physical world there, a different physical world. And that physical world was all about the one thing that it was different than home. So when you're in a silent study, you can't make a bloody sound, okay? Um, any of you that have been in a silent study, it just means that, a silent study. Now, if you're still lost and saying, John, what the heck is a silent study? Maybe, um, I don't know, maybe you didn't go to school where they had silent study. Silent study means no talking, no phone conversations, okay, and set your cell phone to silent or vibrate, okay? Uh, there are things called a silent study zone, okay? And it's an area of a library used for silent individual study. It's usually located on the second floor of the library. Mobile phones uh, should be switched off or to silent, and no talking is permitted. Um, so I think that's a pretty interesting thing. And, uh, there's something cool what they call, they call it a quiet zone. Yes, they call it a quiet zone. And so a quiet zone is meant so that you can think so that you can, you know, focus on things when you're home, maybe you're trying to do studying out loud. Well, that wouldn't work in a silent study. So you have to change your uh, practices. Now, if you don't like that, well, then you can't go to a silent study. But there are benefits to a silent study. Like, you know, there might be other people you're going to connect with. Maybe you can share notes. Maybe you can go back and forth. But there is no talking in a silent study. Okay. It's that way for a reason. 
okay, so that we can take reading and studying seriously and focus with our our entire attention. All right, so when we think about that, the next thing I want to share with you is something called green technology. So what the heck is green technology? Well, green technology is um, not new. It's been around for a while. It's the whole concept that what we create in our world will be beneficial for others and for society. So thinking about green technology, what it means is it's putting we're putting the brakes on carbon emissions, which is bad for our environment. Um, we are developing green hydrogen now. We're trying to create a new clean burning energy. Shell and REW are working on a green pipeline with wind plants. So green technology is going to be better for humans, but it's going to be better for our entire world. Okay. So I think that's a, a very, very, um, you know, important thing to understand. And uh, you might be saying to me, John, you know, this sounds great, but I'm not sure I get it. Well, it's about preserving our world, preserving our resources. Does that make sense, everyone? And, and I think the reason it becomes a little bit, I'm going to say, confusing to some is because green is like, I don't know, it's like a word that nobody really talks about. And the reason they don't talk about it is because they don't know about it. So you might be saying, hey, John, what are, you know, what are green technologies? And there are a lot. Um, it's basically an umbrella term that's used to relate to technology and science to reduce um, human impacts that could be harmful uh, to themselves or to others or to the environment at a whole. And so an example of a green technology would be wastewater treatment and water purification. Uh, recycling water to make it drinkable or clean enough for other purposes. Uh, waste management and recycling can minimize landfills and impact. Another green technology might be um, is, 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 is burning our garbage green technology. Is burning our garbage green technology. Um, you know, and it has some connotation to, but not fully. So burning garbage could put more emissions back in the air that could be harmful to people and to our environment and damage it. So although we're going to get fuel out of burning our garbage, it could do us more harm than good by becoming a part of it. So what other, what else is, let's say, is green technology? And I think um, one of my favorites has to be wind and also um, things like uh, science and agriculture where we can, you know, grow plants, um, let's say, upside down for certain types of vegetation and, and fruits and, and whatnot. Um, so, but the big bulk of green is to reduce emissions of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases to prevent climate changes. And so um, there are five green top uh, technologies out there. Um, 
And um, we're talking about things like solar um, uh, desalinization, uh, green architecture, uh, vertical farming, hydroponics, right? Wind power, uh, electric vehicles, plant-based packaging, right? We're packaging things with plants, biodegradable. Um, sustainable phones, e-waste recycling, carbon capture and storage technology and nuclear energy and fuel cells. It's a lot, isn't it? So solar panels, um, gone from solar to fusion power, breaking through to new sources of wave energy. And these are some green energy innovations to keep eyes on as we move into the next years, because we're going to know that green technology can help us, right? We talked about wind power. We talked about electric vehicles, plant-based packaging. And it's not just about lowering a cost. It's about making sure that what we put in this world is going to leave this world with a very minimal impact to humans and to the world and everything around it, animals, etc. And so when I ask you the question about green technology, you might be like, oh, my gosh, um, wastewater is a real big one. Um, e bulbs, um, you know, um, carbon tracking software is not new, but it's becoming popular. Hydrogen, right? Um, how do you become an eco-friendly business? Well, if you're serious, track your carbon footprint. That's one of the biggest problems we have from manufacturing and a lot of medium to large corporations. Uh, do an LCA, a life cycle assessment. Figure out when is it that your computers, your monitors, when do they have to be flipped? Normally, a computer gets flipped every five to seven years, monitors every seven to ten. And so certain software can literally help educate you and make sure that your uh, company and, and employees and contractors stay on the path to keeping you at a very low um, emission carbon footprint. So zero waste is another. You can assess your company's waste and commit to zero waste. Uh, that's very hard to do. Uh, many companies around the world aren't quite there yet, but they're striving to become part of this bigger picture to allow our world to not destroy itself. I think this happens because we get an idea to make something, whether it's a cell phone or, you know, whether it's a new type of packaging. And we think it's going to be great just because it costs less money. But I'm here to tell you, friends, just because something costs less money doesn't mean that it's going to be better for you and or the environment or things in the environment. So we'll keep an eye on green technology, but it's definitely something that we're going to see more of it on the horizon. Of course, there's that whole caveat of, you know, should we do batteries? Should we do the cars like that? Should we do hydrogen? I mean, what should we do? There's a lot of what ifs. And if we did this, what will happen? So there's still a lot of we don't know yet. And we're still experimenting. All right. More in technology is the concept of edibility of nature and technology. John, what the heck do you mean by editing technology? Well, we're starting to make discoveries in gene editing technology where we can actually alter DNA. 
The reason we may want to do this is because let's just say there is a um, uh, a disease and we're trying to, let's say, remedy that disease. Well, by having a way to alter DNA, we suddenly have this ability to now change the way something is, such as an organ uh, being one type to another. And I know this gets into a very, let's say, controversial world. I'm not going to go there. But all I want to say is that this technology is becoming more prevalent. Right now, it's extremely expensive. And there's another thing out there, ladies and gentlemen, that I want to share with you. You know what that is? It's called nanotechnology. Now, you might be saying, John, what the heck is nanotechnology? So it, it is the uh, manipulation of matter on a near atomic scale to produce new structures. Um, technology uh, advancements in sectors such as medicine, consumer products, and energy materials. Um, you might be asking, hey, John, what is nanotechnology used for? So it's already uh, been used in the industrial sector, such as the information and communication sectors. But it's also in the food technology world, uh, energy technology, as well as some medical products. And so people say to me, John, what is a good example of nanotechnology? So nanoengineering uh, uses superior um, products um, like uh, degreasers and stain removers, environmental uh, sensors, air purifiers and filters, antibacterial cleansers and specialized paints and sealing products such as self-cleaning house paints and others that will resist dirt and marks. Um, the question people ask is nanotechnology um, something that we should be working on? So they've improved the design of products such as light bulbs, paints, computer screens, and even fuels by using nanotechnology. But is nanotechnology good or bad? So nanotechnology has uh, a beneficial effect for medicine and the environment. But just like every other technology, technology is not good. It's not bad. It's how we choose to apply it and what we're going to do with it that may directly or indirectly adversely impact an environment such as people, other organisms, animals, and nature itself. So you might be asking me, John, you know, what is nanotechnology used in the human body? So, um, Neotechnology could change the face of medical implants by allowing miniature devices to be further reduced in size and inserted in human body to cure and repair damaged cells. Um, now, you might be asking me, John, what is a nanomaterial? What is a what is a nanomaterial? Because, I mean, this sounds like something in the space world. So what is a nanomaterial? Uh, um, so... They have um, some interesting particles, and they're usually considered to be materials with at least one external dimension that measures 100 nanometers or less, with internal structures measuring 100 nanometers or less, and they may be in the form of particles, tubes, rods, or even fibers. Pretty cool, right? Um... There are things right now that are being worked on called uh, nanobots, okay? And they're being used today in medicine and environmental uh, cleanups. Um, nanobots is basically an active structure that is able to um, sense, manipulate, and even move forward 
um, and gather information at a very uh, nano scale. And it's important because nanorobots can participate in a variety of DNA hacking mischiefs and things like that. So we have to be careful with uh, nanobots. And so, um, you know, nanotechnology robotics, it's a, a field that combines the principle of robotics, nanotechnology, and material science to develop robots at the nanoscale. And robots could lead to other advancements in things like medicine, we said, manufacturing, energy production, and environmental cleanup. But the thing is, can nanobots cure anything? So um, they've been said that they could possibly destroy cancer cells. Uh, they could be programmed to make repairs at the cellular level. Um, and nanobots, um, people have asked, can nanobots, you know, do surgery? Um, you know, that's a good question. Um, the surgeons are called nanorobots, and they're tiny groups of magnetically charged particles that will band together to break up clogged arteries. And the robot uh, molecules work on blockages in some stages. Um, it's very interesting. And, and I think um, people ask, how do we control nanobots? So uh, there are sensors in nanobots that could detect specific signals or conditions like the presence of a certain type of molecule or material, and then either react or not react. Um, people say, to, what does a nanorobot basically you know, do to exist? So they can be injected. And then people ask me, so uh, how do you, you know, get rid of nanobots uh, in the body? So um, this is a very interesting question, okay? Um, they are here to help us with a lot of different things. And um, nanobots are specialized enzymes or drugs that can break down um, uh, things. And so when we include an enzyme or a drug, you'll be able to basically remove or destroy the nanobot. Um, and so you have to realize that nanobots are so small and they exist and they operate on a whole world. Now, if I had to share with you this information, what is the nano world? I think that's probably a, a question that a lot of you might be asking. And I want to tell you that uh, nanobots are basically something that is not new to our world. Okay. We've been working on them for, you know, a very, very long time. But the question is, you know, what is it that they're that they're doing? And I think uh, the biggest thing I want to tell you is that they've got so many um, possibilities. I mean, so many, so many possibilities. And you might be saying to me, John, you know, what is it that will propel somebody forward to work with nanobots? Um, so. It's an atomic force that defines um, basically specifications for a type of device. And a device doesn't have to be made out of like metal. It can be made out of other types of uh, structures, right? 
Um, Nano World and science technology has always been on like, you know, the sci-fi channels. But what we're learning now about nanotechnology is that it encompasses measuring, modeling, manipulating, and scaling things. And then being able from that to do different things. So nanotechnology is very, very small. Materials uh, may behave in different and very unexpected ways. Researchers want to harness this, um, let's say, knowledge and the unexpected behaviors to make new technologies. Um, is the iPod Nano an example of nanotechnology? Well, not every product that has the word nano in it means what you think. Um, nanotechnology has been basically called the next big thing, quote unquote. And um, although they're saying that it can help with, you know, curing cancer, I'm not convinced until it actually does it. All right. So I'm going to be clear on that. So we know that we can edit that. We can edit more with granular technology. Uh, I think that's really important. And let's jump on to another topic of mine, which is trends in shopping. So before we used to go online, we could buy things, we go to a store. But then, you know, when COVID happened, there were two new acronyms that came about. And I want to tell you that these acronyms are not just for COVID. They're starting to become a new way of life. One is considered BOPAC, buy online, pick up at curbside, or BOIS, buy online and pick up in store. Now, these types of systems, as well as um, different retailers and mass department stores, are employing these autonomous shopping environments so that, you know, when you buy something, you, from the moment you put the order in, it can notify you on your phone. When you get to the store, you can let them know you're there and they can literally bring it right out to your car. So technology is connecting the physical world to the digital world. And at some point it has to be physical because you can't just get, you know, clothes or an object through your phone. So we have to, at some point, bridge to the physical world. But when we talk about bridging the past, we're talking about how to utilize and get information from a physical world into a digital world. But there are a few times when we have to actually be in the physical world to actually get what it is that we're trying to uh, acquire. So a lot's going to happen in online purchasing. And we're going to see more retailers and suppliers and even small businesses move forward to something like we talked about here. And that is called B-O-P-A-C, buy online, pick up at curbside, or B-O-I-S, buy online, pick up in store. So I think that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. And we're just going to have to stay tuned because there's a lot going to happen, ladies and gentlemen, in this world. All right. So did you know that Microsoft and NVIDIA are working on a metaverse platform? I did you didn't know that. Yes. Uh, NVIDIA. <laughs> you all know who NVIDIA is. NVIDIA and, and Microsoft are, are working on a metaverse platform. And this is really pretty cool. Uh, they're collaborating with one of the largest broad-based technology providers, you know, NVIDIA and Microsoft, and they're allowing this new trend of a metaverse, which we'll talk more about, and the AI and supercomputing to be able to fuel it with the resources they need to make it be everything that they want. So we'll definitely stay tuned with that. So let's talk a little more about a metaverse. So We've said that a metaverse is basically a physical um, 
let's say, a digital representation of a physical world. Um, one example of a metaverse might be having a court case online. The judges are avatars. Um, there's even talks about having a digital healthcare metaverse where you can have an online digital hospital. So what would that be like? Well, that's a great question. So there could be uh, virtual consultations for people that need to talk to a doctor right away, any time of day. Um, virtual healthcare professional training uses virtual reality and augmented reality, right? And we've talked about this before, um, that our virtual reality uses our world and puts us in it. augmented reality, uh, basically puts elements into it. So you, we can have a virtual world with AR components into it. Remember, AR components are controlled by the system. VR components are controlled by the user that they are being represented by. Um, remote monitoring and wearables. Now, we've seen a lot of this stuff in the last decade. But what's going to happen is monitoring the different technologies, reporting, uh, telepresence, medicine, um, e-prescriptions. We're going to see all of this happening in the metaverse. So you might typically go to a doctor's office uh, online and you check into a virtual waiting room. You might see a lady there that might be checking you in and you literally have a virtual seat. Then the doctor calls you and then uh, you would go into, and this is as they get busier. Right now, they don't have this kind of volume. And then the doctor would see you. And then after they've done that, you know, you'd be on camera so they could even do exams on camera. But the thing about it is that they'll be able to write you an e-prescription, which will be sent right over to your pharmacy. Now, using technology that we just talked about before, like be online, B-O-P-A-C, buy online, pick up a curbside, or B-O-P-I-S, or how about another one? Buy online, I don't even see the acronym for it, but I bet it's coming out. Buy online, D-T-H. Yes, buy, so be online, B-O, DTH, buy online, deliver to home, to, to your home. And I think that's one that's not there yet, but we're going to see that coming because people are lazy. Uh, let, let, let's focus on it. So the thing about the metaverse is that it's an environment that's there whenever you need it. It never closes. Right. We talked about the fact that we can have digital office buildings um, and we can have digital real estate online. You literally could rent a space. OK. In a building, a virtual building online. All right. Whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a doctor and people could come and visit you in your virtual office, there'll be virtual malls. So it's giving the experience as if you are there in person, but you're moving around almost like a video game. And you're doing things that are real, like putting in payment methods and things like that. So it, it is important. And it's also important to understand that when we use a metaverse, that we know how to use them safely. We'll talk about that in another, uh, another show. I want to talk about digital twinning right now. Digital twinning is when we take either a live person or an object that's in the physical world and we make a digital copy of it. We then can study that object. We can break it down. We can do all kinds of things with it, virtual tests. So we can learn about the object, the person, um, the structure, right? And that's coming. 
Uh, we're starting to see digital, digital twinning right now. We've seen in the automotive industry. They've used it to help uh, uh, build new types of cars. They could actually get engineering done better because they can literally take something with the models and figure out how to make something better. So that's something pretty cool. Now, you might be asking me, and I'm sure you are, John, what are the benefits of a metaverse? Well, there are some benefits. The one benefit is they allow others to connect um, to other people, regardless of what part of the world they're in. They're going to offer new and innovative immersive experiences. So what's an immersive experience? An experience where you are really putting all your senses in. You're able to see, you're able to hear, and some you might even be able to touch and feel sensations. Like we were talking about like haptic technology with our phone. Um, there's going to be um, support for education and commerce, as we said before, like in the uh, healthcare metaverse, right? And I think there's a lot of benefits to a metaverse. I think that's pretty cool. But I want to let you know that there are going to be, yes, ladies and gentlemen, some disadvantages to a metaverse. What are they? Well, it's going to be limited to, to be able to uh, facilitate people that uh, don't experience motion sickness. Because let's face it, creating that type of experience might not be all that for some people. Uh, increased equipment and software costs, uh, more outlets for people to be bullied and harassed or stalked. You see, just because you can not leave your home doesn't mean that, and you can, doesn't mean you should stalk someone. See, digital stalking is becoming uh, very popular because, let's face it, a lot of stalkers are lazy. They don't want to go out um, so they just do things from home because they can decide to be a stalker one moment and then change their mind. But you have to realize that what you're doing online and what you're doing in person um, should have the same accountability. And I'm here to let you know that if you want to be somebody different online, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as that person online does not act in an unprofessional, unethical, um, untrustful rude or stalking type or harassing manner, you could be a different person or personality if you want, but it's never to deceive or um, let's say um, we're talking to people. It's never to trip them up on purpose. That's very, very important. So um, we're also going to have to worry about loss of privacy. And that could be a really big problem because as you get into all these rooms and you click here, and, oh, just click here for payment. And now all of a sudden, Somebody hacks into a metaverse and now they have all my payment information. So I know they're talking about blockchain and things are going to be stored, but I'm not convinced that we're there yet. So I think it's good where we're going, but I still think there needs to be some separation between our payment methods, between our PHI, our personal health information, and our PI, personal information. I think we're rushing to get there, and I think we need to just slow down a little bit and make sure that the right... Um, let's say, due diligences are observed. So when we think about a metaverse, right, what are the principles a metaverse should be based on? So one, uh, we talk a little about it, is it's got to be open, universal, and interoperable for everyone. Humans have to take priority first, okay? Um, it's got to be able to handle diversities of all different cultures, races, religions, sexual orientations. Um, and it's got to be able to respect and trust all parties, okay? Transparency and accountability are going to be something that is so paramount, so paramount. But if we don't 
start to realize that a metaverse is a convenience. It's not something we just hop on because we want to hide behind a screen. So let me just say this, for example, if I was to get off camera for a moment and I'm talking to you, just because I'm not on camera doesn't mean I'm not responsible and I shouldn't be accountable. See, that's really key, ladies and gentlemen. I, I want to bring that up to your, to your uh, attention. So what are the parts of a metaverse? I think this is what's going through a lot of people's heads. So there are parts of a, of a metaverse. So one is it's got to be user interactive, right? Similar to a game. Right. And, you know, if you play things like uh, whether it's uh, Dungeons and Dragons or whether it's a boxing game or football game, what happens now? The sensors are able to pick up where you are. And some sensors are even able to give you sensations or actually uh, vibrations or, um, let's say, uh, taps or pulses to let you experience something that you'd be feeling. The XR extended reality. So the XR is just making it more real, right? Having the ability to involve more of our senses. I mean, now we have camera, right? We have uh, audio and that's great. But what if we could bring smell to the equation? That might not be a good idea. Um, you know, what if we could bring touch to the equation? We've already done that in the iPhones, right? We can feel something. When I press this button on the side, when I do that, it, it, it actually pulsed once to let me know it's out of uh, do not serve. I press it again and, and, and it basically did and, and it vibrated again. So one pulse and then one, two. So it's one pulse and then and then three quick pulses lets me feel that it's actually back in do not disturb mode. So I think we've been seeing glimpses of all this stuff and now it's starting to come together. Of course, we have the AI component, artificial intelligence, and we have computing vision where we're going to be able to take what we see and based on algorithms make changes or alterations to those pictures to those models and then in real time give us a changed prototype on the screen uh mobile networks are going to be a big thing for metaverses because if they're not able to be accessed by mobile phones and mobile devices People probably won't be on them as much. We all know that people hang out on mobile devices more than they hang out on their laptops or their PCs. We all know that that's not a, that's not a new thing. Edge and cloud computing. Because the amount of data is going to get so large, we have to send this stuff up to the cloud. And we have to use edge technology. If we don't, we're going to be, let's say, disappointed with the experience. But with doing this, we open up Pandora's box that our data might be sitting in a shared environment, which it is, and someone else might have access to that same shared server. And we have to make sure that our containers are locked down, that people can't just open a door and get into our container accidentally just because it's on some big cloud or edge server that's reporting back data. But you have to realize when we process information information is going to keep evolving and it's not going to get smaller. It's going to get larger. And now people ask me this, John, all the time. What is today? What is the largest uh, amount of info uh, storage uh, type today? And I think um, it's going to be a yottabyte. 
A who? <laughs> yeah, you ought to bite. I'm telling you the truth. It's the largest unit approved as a standard size by the international standards of units. The Yottabyte, Y-O-T-T-A-B-Y-T-E, is, is about one, ready for this, ladies and gentlemen, septillion bytes. Or as an integer, I'm going to give you the number of zeros. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 21, 22, 23, 24. So one in 24 zeros is a Yottabyte. That's a lot of zeros. And uh, I know we don't have anything that needs a yada bite, but you're going to see the needs are going to change as we evolve. Internet of Things, we talked about wearables and other different devices, whether they're cameras, whether they're watch, uh, whether they're different sensors. Uh, we're even seeing things like smoke detectors in people's homes, um, carbon monoxide detectors. They are asking to be connected to the internet. Why? Because they're now an IoT device. And so if you're traveling somewhere and something happens in your home, what's well, going to alert you? There's a fire. Well, that's great. I was talking to a neighbor about this. He says, you know, John, if that happens to me, I'm just going to let it burn and, and let the fire company come enjoy my vacation and just let the insurance take care of it when I get back. I don't know if he was pulling my leg or not, but uh, this all happened because he changed his smoke detector to a smoke carbon monoxide detector because the one he had went bad. And um, now they come with the IoT device built in. And so you don't have to enable it, but some of them will give you an annoying beep that you can't turn off. So I think our world is going to morph and it's going to keep, how can I say, reforming into new things based on our expectations, based on the technology. But one thing is key, ladies and gentlemen. We as individuals, we as business owners, we as developers, engineers, and users have a responsibility to develop, use, and manage technology and services in a way that won't harm, hurt, harass, bully, of course, or stalk another person. You see, just because we have technology, which is a power way up here, doesn't mean that we have license, that's right, I said have license, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Let me give you an example. Many of you might have a large chocolate cake at home, all right? And after dinner, you might say, gee, I want to have a piece of chocolate cake. Great. Now, just because that cake is in your fridge doesn't mean that you should keep going to that fridge every hour until that cake is gone. No. See, just because you could doesn't mean you should. That's the important thing when we talk about technology, when we talk about AI, when we talk about um, privacy, just because it is doesn't mean it should be that way. I was using a platform the other day and I clicked a link. It's a safe link. And just because that company can send me email messages doesn't mean they should. Does that make sense, everyone? Hey, ladies and gentlemen, do you know who I am? I'm sure you do by now. I'm John C. Morley, serial entrepreneur. And it is my privilege, of course, my pleasure and honor to be with you this fantastic, amazing evening. Please do click on um, BelieveMeAchieve.com or scan the QR code. And when you do that, you're going to get my link tree. And once you get my link tree, ladies and gentlemen, um, you'll be able to expand and see lots of great information. I, th I think that's going to be 
something that'll be really, really cool for you. And um, go to where it says help keep our content free. Click on that. Make the choice to buy my team and I a cup of coffee, a bowl of fruit, a scrumptious bowl of yummy desserts. Either way, we're going to be so grateful those pennies and dollars. We'll invest them into new hardware, new technology, new equipment, new software, even new facilities to give you the most jaw-dropping motivational content to empower you to have an amazing life. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a tech person or you want to have a tech conversation with me, if you'd like to reach out and you'd like to share some knowledge, please do. I'd love to have a pre-chat with you and see if you'd be a great uh, guest for one of my shows. Remember, Jaymore Tech Talk, as well as IFWL Inspiration to Your Life, is all about providing value, all right? And if I can educate just a few of you guys to have a safer, better, more enjoyable life, then I've done my job. I hope you guys have an amazing rest of your night, a fantastic weekend. And you know what? I'm going to be back here next week. Yes, the week before Thanksgiving. Uh, that is going to uh, actually. We've got a uh, yeah. The, the Thanksgiving week comes the comes the following actually. Uh, so um, and people, Jimmy just asked you for. Uh, hey, John, when is Thanksgiving? And so um, this is a funny question because Thanksgiving always falls on November twenty third, which is always um, a Thursday. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the thing is this, we celebrate Thanksgiving on the 23rd. Um, the date changes of different years, but it's always, um, going to be, um, that that's when we, that's when we celebrate Thanksgiving. So, uh, I think it's interesting to know, um, that Thanksgiving, um, date changes. Okay. Um, but it's always November 23rd and, um, I want you guys to know that, um, I'm working on bringing you some amazing, great content as well as a real special thing for my, uh, Thanksgiving week broadcast. Please do check out all my great content. Let me know what you think. It is such a privilege, pleasure and honor to be with you. And I hope that you embrace this technology and apply it and choose to use it in a manner that's going to make your lives and everyone else's just a little bit better. Have yourself a great night and a fantastic weekend. And I'll see you guys real soon. So be well. Take care.